When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 177, Love-Centered Parenting. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. At the beginning of today's episode, I want to ask you a question and I invite you to think seriously about it. Maybe pause the podcast and give yourself a few moments to think or to even jot down some thoughts before you listen. The question is this, what do you believe your job is as a mother? I'm going to give you a second to formulate your answer to that. What do you believe your job is as a mother? Do you have an answer in mind? This is the question that today's guest, Crystal Payne, asked the community of women who follow along with her popular blog and Instagram account, The Money Saving Mom. And the answer she received didn't surprise her because she herself had spent years defining her role as a mom in the same ways that her community of readers were now defining themselves. Crystal says that the majority of the responses were along the lines of, my job as a parent is to raise responsible, independent adults. My job as a parent is to raise godly children who love Jesus with all their hearts. My job as a parent is to raise kids who make good choices and are people with good morals and character. These are all very valid and good aspirations for parenting, but are any of those outcomes truly within a parent's control? Can we really control how our kids turn out? And if so, how can that actually be our job as parents? And does this focus on trying to make sure our kids turn out a certain way really lead us to parenting from a place of fear and control rather than parenting from a place of love and trust? These are the questions that Crystal has grappled with for the past 16 years as she's parented her four biological children, as well as the foster children whom she's been honored to have in her home. In her latest book, Love-Centered Parenting, Crystal shares how she has transformed from a parent who was obsessed with appearances and outcomes to a parent who is obsessed with love, specifically the love that God has for her and how she can pour that love onto her children. Crystal is a personal friend of mine who's been on the podcast once before teaching us about how to make over your mornings. She is a Christian blogger whose faith I have deeply admired for years, and she does not shy away from talking about her belief in God as it weaves into all of the different aspects of her life and her work. Whether or not you are religious, I hope you'll enjoy this conversation between us, as I do believe the principles we discuss about love-centered parenting are universal for all moms, no matter your beliefs. And speaking of love-centered parenting, before we get into the episode, I want to remind you about a resource that I have for moms who want to focus more on the joy within their motherhood. One of the best ways you can center yourself in love for your children is to notice the beautiful moments that you share with them. So much of motherhood can be so difficult, but in the midst of the chaos, there are always those little glimmering moments of joy that are sometimes 
easy to miss. They slide right past us if we aren't deliberately tuned in to notice them and grab hold of them. That is why I created my Flex of Gold journal for moms. Each day you write down one golden moment that you experienced with your children, just a few lines and probably less than a minute to do it, and it helps you to see and magnify the good in your life and in your motherhood. Almost 3,000 mothers around the world have started using this journal and getting their testimonials of how the journal is impacting them is thrilling to me. A few months ago, I got this message from Lindsay Tanner, a mom of four boys in California. She said, I started writing down my Flex of Gold in March 2019 after I heard you speak about it at an online conference. Since then, I have not missed a single day, although often I do catch up in bulk weekly. Writing about moments helps me to really grasp them before they slip quietly out of my brain, never to be remembered. I am a more deliberate and grateful mother because I pay attention to my Flex of Gold each day. My journal has become my most valuable possession, filled with memories of ordinary days. When I flip through the pages of ordinary moments from years past, I realize that they all come together to make an extraordinary life, filled with love and joy. If you'd like to get a flexible journal for yourself or another mother you love for Mother's Day, I'm running a special promotion on the journals for podcast listeners only through Mother's Day. 10% off your entire order with the code 3 and 30. And you won't hear me talking about this code on Instagram or elsewhere because I really do want to thank you for listening to the podcast consistently to give you a little extra bonus gift this Mother's Day. Surprise a friend or your sister or your own mother with one of these special journals and don't forget to use the code 3 and 30 for 10% off through Mother's Day. I'm also so excited to introduce you to Jane.com, our newest sponsor of the podcast. Have you ever heard of Jane? It's a highly curated online boutique marketplace featuring the latest in women's fashion trends, accessories, home decor, children's clothing, and more. For years, I've heard my friends talking about the great deals that they get from Jane.com, but I hadn't actually been to their website until recently, and I was blown away by the wide variety of products they offer at incredible prices. Jane.com features hundreds of new products every day, most of them from small shops and vendors around the country who want to get the word out about their products, so they offer them at exclusive sale prices on Jane.com for a limited time. The products and sales change often because different vendors are featured, and they have some amazing stuff on there. I recently ordered my daughter Sally a couple of twirly dresses for summer. She loves them. And I ordered myself some beautiful handmade earrings. I have my eye on some home decor items that'd be perfect to give my house a bit of a refresh as we head into spring and summer. I'm super impressed with the wide variety of stuff on their site. If you're interested in checking out what Jane.com has to offer, they actually helped me create a curated shop page, especially for 3 and 30 listeners, with some of my favorite items displayed. I almost felt like I was registering for my wedding again (laughs) as I went through their huge inventory and I said, I want that on the 3 and 30 page. I want that on the 3 and 30 page. It was so fun to put together kind of a registry of my favorite clothing items and toys and home decor that I hope that you will love too. So you can see the deals that I handpicked for you at jane.com slash three and 30. That's jane.com slash three and 30. And I hope that you'll find something that you love. And now onto the show. This is my conversation with Crystal Payne about love-centered parenting. Crystal, welcome to three and 30. We are so glad to have you back on the show. I am so excited to be back. This is so much fun. 
Yes. And I am thrilled to talk to you about your new book, Love-Centered Parenting. I just finished reading and I told you before we started that I was reading sections to my husband and feeling it just resonated really deeply with me of the type of parent that I want to be, that I'm trying to be. But I love it's really your journey as a mom that you are moving towards this type of love-centered parenting. So how is that different than the type of parenting you were doing before? So I was raised in a home where there were a lot of rules and rules can be good, but I feel like I always take things to the extreme in the sense I wanted to be the best mom. And so it's like, we need to have a whole lot of rules. And I had set up so many rules for myself of like what it looked like to be a good mom and a good Christian. And I was so focused on making sure my kids made good decisions and did the right thing and followed the rules. And I was missing relationship in the process. And so that's really what the shift has been Mm -hmm. from that rules-based parenting to this relationship-based parenting. And instead of trying to fix and micromanage and bubble wrap and overprotect, it's really just, what does it look like to walk with my kids? Mm, Yes. And I love in there, you talk about how you used to, your goal was like, cheerful, instant obedience with your kids. And then you sort of realized over time that that is not the goal, that a deeper relationship with them and you being a safe place for them where they can come and talk through things is very different than having them be perfectly cheerfully obedient every time that you ask them to do something. 100%. And I think that it's the thing of, you know, so often we are focused on the outward And Mm -hmm. we feel like, well, my kid is making good choices and they look good and, you know, they're performing well in school or whatever. Oh, I'm doing a good job. And I know for me personally, I was so focused on that outward and I was missing so much that was going on inside. And I feel like there's so much that we just see the surface and there's so much more underneath that surface. And so for me, Love Center Parenting is really, let's get down to the heart and to the root. And it starts with me as a mom and getting down to the root of, Mm. you know, my why and where I'm parenting from and why am I getting frustrated at my kids and really digging into that. And it was interesting, just recently I was teaching a class and it was about this whole concept of our negative narratives that we live out of and irritation and just encouraging moms to parent from that place of love. And I was asking them to just pay attention over a 24 hour period of when they got irritated and annoyed at their kids. And so they started coming back and saying, well, today I got annoyed with this. And then I said, I want you to ask why. And so it was funny because we just stay on the surface so often. And it was like, well, my kid made a mess in the living room and I was frustrated. And I was like, no, why was that frustrating to you? And I think just asking that question, why? Well, actually, when you dig down, it's because I feel like I need to have a clean and organized home because that's what a good mom does. Mm. And so when we start asking why, and then we ask why about that why, and then another why, and really get to that root, that's where we can then uproot those long held you know, we've gotten stuck in these pathways and in our brain and in our responses. And we need to uproot that so that we can then be able to replace that with a different approach that is going to allow us to parent from a place of freedom and rest and joy. Mm. 
Yeah. And you say throughout your book, you mentioned that parenting from a place of freedom and rest and joy. And it's just like you hear that and your soul just says, yes, that's what I want. Mm. And yet I think so many mothers would not describe where they are parenting from with those words. Mm -hmm. It might be more stress, overwhelm, fear that they're parenting from versus rest and joy. And you're so right that it comes back to how we feel about ourselves, whether or not we believe we are enough and lovable. And we don't realize that's what we're parenting from. But so much of our anxiety over our kids' behavior is because we worry about the reflection that it is on us. And you mentioned that throughout the book over and over that you catch yourself. I'm really making this about me. Like this is about me, not them. And that resonated deeply with me because I've had to learn to be self-aware and catch myself as well. Is this really about them or is it because I'm worrying about how I'm being perceived? And that's not fair to them to be parenting from that Mm -hmm. place. So often I think we parent from a place of fear. We will play out what this is going to, we think that, oh, they're talking back to me and I play it out and I think, well, what if in 10 years from now they don't ever work through this and get over this and in their job, they're going to lose their job because they talk back. You know, So then I project that on them, my fear of the future, and I parent from that place. Or we're parenting for our reputation. So our child's talking back to us mm-hmm. and we're thinking, oh my goodness, are they doing that at school? Because if they're doing that at school, I'm sure the teacher is going to think that I am not parenting well. And so Neither one of those places of parenting for our own reputation or parenting out of fear are going to allow us to parent from a place of love because it's really about us, Mm. like you said. And so for me, I had to dig into that why, and I really had to start paying attention to that negative narrative in my head. And I realized so often I was letting this narrative that said, you're not enough, you are a failure, and you're a disappointment to people closest to you. And all of these types of things were just there. And I just allowed them to be there. And I would even say it about myself out loud. Hmm. And as I started paying attention, I realized those are actually lies. Mm -hmm. Like if I hold that up to scripture, that's not what God says about me. And so I challenged myself to start replacing those lies with truth. And so if I would say I'm failing as a mom, Well, I might be struggling in this area. We all have struggles. So let's own that. That's okay. But to kind of just put this blanket statement of I am a failure as a mom, that's not true. That's a lie. And so to call that out and then replace that with what is actually the truth. You know, God has given me these kids. He loves them even more than I do. And I can trust him that he is going to give me everything that I need to be able to parent them. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to struggle, but you know what? That is okay because I am loved by him and I can rest in his love and I can ask forgiveness and there is grace. Mm. And so to pair it from that place, instead of I got to do it all right, otherwise I'm completely missing the mark. And so when I started to really just replace the lies with truth and pay attention to the negative narrative, call out those lies and replace them with truth, it slowly over time really rewired the way that I approached my kids and also all of life because I wasn't letting those lies be the labels that I lived under and led with. And there's something amazing when you lead with, I'm loved versus I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. That completely changes the way that you respond and interact with people. 
Mm. Yeah. And I loved in your book, you talked about asking yourself the question, what would loved me do in this situation? Mm -hmm. If I truly believed that I'm fully and completely loved, how would I react? How would loved me operate in the world? Which is such a cool question to ask because we are loved. We are fully and wholly loved by God. And we can take that into our parenting. So the first half of your book, I feel like really sets up this, talks about how we are fully and wholly loved. And until we believe that, we're always going to be parenting from fear. The second half of your book really gets more practical into how do we do this? Like, okay, so we believe this. We want to be love-centered. What are the actions that we can take to be love-centered parents? And that's what we're going to talk about today with our three takeaways is how do we practically live this out in our day-to-day life? So would you like to just start us with your first takeaway? Yes, absolutely. And I want to set the stage first. I think it's so easy for us as parents, we want the quick fix. You know, we want like, just give me the system, give me the chore chart, give me the four steps to be a better parent. And so I just remind people that you cannot live out these takeaways if you don't believe Mm. that you are wholly loved. It's just going to be the surfacey thing Mm -hmm. and you're going to just constantly be going back to that place of parenting from stress and guilt. And so that's why I spent the first half of the book on that because I feel like that was so important. And then the other thing I want to challenge people before we get to the takeaways is what do you believe your job as a parent is? This was something that I asked on my Instagram when I was Mm -hmm. writing the book. I asked people to fill in the blank. My job as a parent is to blank. I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of responses. And I would say that 98 to 99% of them are things that we ultimately have no control over as a parent. And so I thought, no wonder there's so Mm -hmm. much stress in parenting because if you think your job as a parent is to raise kids who have strong character and who are successful in the world, that's a great ambition. But when it really comes down to it, you can't control that. And so these takeaways are things, Mm -hmm. these are choices that we can actually make. We can control. And so for us Mm -hmm. to focus on what we can actually control, it just really changes how we approach things. So takeaway number one, lean in and love. This is a mantra that has just reframed the way that I approach parenting. And really for me, this is about my posture as a parent. When I hear my kids fighting or when I hear someone has talked back or something went down at school or my kid did something that needs to be addressed, instead of just jumping in to try to fix it, instead of just jumping in and try to solve it or to preach a sermon, to go with the posture of leaning in and loving. And in the book, I talk about flare prayers and shooting up a flare prayer because a lot of times we don't have 30 minutes to be able to get on our knees and pray and be like, God, I got to deal with this fight that my kids are having, (laughs) you know, but to shoot up a flare prayer and say, (laughs) please help me to lean in and love my child, help them to feel loved. Give me wisdom as I step into this situation with them and help me to know how to address this. And I love that. I love the description of a flare prayer because that's like SOS, like, God, (laughs) I'm about to lose it, like sending up my flare, like I need some help here. And, and he really will help us in those moments. And I think having a mantra is such a cool way to remind yourself in those stressful SOS moments of what your value is and how you want to parent. You can almost use the misbehavior, your children's misbehavior or the annoyance 
as a trigger for you to do something that will remind you of your value. So you're like, oh, they're fighting again. I'm going to say my mantra and take a deep breath or this thing's happening and it's going to remind me to pray or whatever it might be. So you're using that difficult thing as a reminder to do something that will center you in a way. And I love that this takeaway is lean in and love because when you asked what my job as a mom is, I want to answer that to love my kids. Mm. That is my job as a mom because how they turn out, I really have no control over that. I do have control over how I love them and that's all I can do. So how do you do this? How do you show your kids that you're going to choose to lean in and love them? Maybe in the hard moments or not the hard moments. You know, well, so we were talking about the flare prayer and I think that that is one thing for me that has really changed. So instead of just rushing into a situation Mm -hmm. and, you know, we hear the kids fighting in the other room. Just recently, I went out to the car. Two of my kids were in the car. We were getting ready to go and they were going at it. I mean, they were, (laughs) they were arguing and it was heated. And I literally, I said to them, I need to run back in because I was like, I can't deal with this right now. Like I, this is, I need to get centered in, in a good space. And so I went back into the house and I just stopped and I was like leaning in love. And then I send up that prayer prayer and said, God, please help me to know how to walk with them and to know how to have this conversation. I need your help. I cannot do this on my own. You know, especially as they get older, it gets kind of bigger and louder. And I'm like, I need your help. Mm-hmm. And so just to stop and take a breath and cry out to God, ask for his help, and then go back into the situation, it completely changes because I can't go back in there and be like, okay, guys, like had enough. You know, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to be just yelling and trying to shut everybody down when I've already reminded myself, lean in and love. And so having that posture Mm. of really being able to lean in and love, and it leads right into the second takeaway, which is listen well. So in this particular situation where they both have these very, very big feelings, I needed to, instead of just preaching a sermon or jumping to fixing, stop and listen. And I actually said in this situation, I said, okay, both of you are going to get a chance to share what you're feeling, but I really want you to focus on sharing what you are feeling, not what the other person is doing or how they're making you feel. You can share that, but let's talk about you first, because I think a lot of times our kids, we go to blame shifting or we go to, they did that instead of saying right now, I'm feeling like I'm not heard or right now I'm feeling sad because of this. And so listening well involves asking questions and allowing our kids to have the space to really share what they're actually feeling. And a big part of this is helping our kids have emotional language. And this takes practice and this takes modeling. But a lot of times when they are angry, it is actually sadness or embarrassment or other things that are coming out sideways. But the only way they know to express it is in anger. And so listening well is for us to actually come alongside, ask questions, but then also pay attention to when are they getting triggered? Are they hungry? Are they tired? Do they have a lot on their plate? What are they walking through right now? What is it like to walk in their shoes? And so taking that posture of leaning and loving and then backing that up 
with listening well and pairing those two together in that conversation in the car. Because of that, there were some very big feelings that were expressed, but because both kids were able to express it and had that space to do that, each of them realized, oh, when I'm doing this, I'm actually making them feel like this. And I didn't realize that. I just wanted to be right. But in me being right, I was actually hurting Mm -hmm. the other child. And so it was just really beautiful. And then it opened up the door for us to have this really great conversation. It helped me to understand them better. But had I just gone in and been like, we do not have this kind of attitude in our house. You guys need to just stop it right now. I would have just shut them down. Mm -hmm. And we would have never got to the root of where this was actually coming from. Yes. And you have a section in your book where you have several questions that you can ask your child if they're feeling agitated or upset. You can tell they're stressed, they're angry, they're lashing out at everybody. You said you could ask them, what can I help you with? What are you feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or scared about right now? And I just thought, that is such a beautiful question that I would love for someone to ask me. Like it almost like makes me emotional to think about what if when I was at my worst, when I'm having a hard day, someone that I love came to me and said, what can I help you with? Mm. And how much that would touch me and how loved and listened to I would feel and supported. And that's the kind of influence that I want to be in my kid's life Mm. is the person that's coming to them and saying, I can see that something upsetting you today. What can I do to help versus why do you have such a bad attitude? What is wrong with you today? You have been, you know, this and that. It's not easy to have that reaction to our kids, but when I do, I know it always goes so much better than Mm -hmm. if I come at them with a lecture. Well, and if you think about, like you talked about in your own life, I think often, who is the person that I'm going to want to share what I'm struggling with? Is it the person that if I share something with them, they're like, well, you just need to stop feeling like that. Get over it. Or is it the person that's going to say, how can I help you? And the person that's willing mm-hmm. to listen. And I'll tell you, sometimes my kids, some of the stuff, you know, I want to jump right away to be like, oh, no, 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 no. That is not an okay attitude. And I share some examples in the book of how, you know, I've really walked that poorly But when I do that, when I say, how can I help you? I have one child in particular that struggles with homework and can get really overwhelmed really quickly with homework and struggles to figure out how to break it down into bite-sized pieces. And I can get frustrated because I'm like, it's not that many things, you know, because my brain breaks things down really easily, but to realize their brain doesn't and they are wired differently. And so when I come alongside, that's the thing I usually just say, how can I help you? And a lot of times they just need me to kind of be there to talk it through Mm -hmm. with them. Just, I think it was last week, they had come home and they were so overwhelmed. They're like, I have so much homework. And we sat down and said, hey, let's, let's just talk about your day. And then I kind of gradually moved into, so what are the projects that you have? And they listed them off. And as they just started listing them off, I just asked follow-up questions. So what do you need to do for that? And by the end of the conversation, they're like, oh, I actually don't have that much homework at all. And it was just being willing to listen and just kind of prompt them, but quietly do this with this loving attitude instead of like, I'm going to come in and what's your problem? And we just need to make a plan, but just to listen to them and lean in and love them like that, it made such a difference. And then they got all their homework done by 830 and it was great. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the emphasis in your book on listening, not just to their words, but to their behaviors as well. Mm-hmm. I think when we think of listening well, we think of sitting down and that that's so important. Having these conversations is so important, but also 
getting tuned in, you talk about studying your child, like becoming a, a student of them. Is that mm-hmm. how you phrase it? Where yeah. you know them and you can read them and you're listening to their behaviors as well. That is so powerful. And I think that that leads us really well into our last takeaway about love-centered parenting. So teach us about that. Yes. So takeaway number three is to lead with humility. And this one can be hard as parents because I think we sometimes feel like we need to set a really great example for our kids because we don't want them to look to us and be disappointed by us or something. But I think one of the best examples that we can set for them is a humble spirit that is still learning right alongside with them. And when I gave that example of my kids that were fighting in the car, after we had had the conversation and they'd shared their big feelings, I was able to talk to them and say, you know what, when I was your age, let me tell you about something that happened. And I was able to just share with them something that I had walked through and I didn't walk perfectly and I had struggled with. And so I think allowing our kids to see our humanity and allowing them to see that we struggle too, and we don't have it all figured out and we make mistakes. This can be a real gift that we give them. But then also I think to lead with humility by being willing to ask forgiveness when we've made mistakes. And I make Mm -hmm. plenty of them and I have to ask forgiveness a lot. And sometimes it's a little awkward to go back and be like, Hey, so earlier today when I was having that conversation with you, I wasn't being really kind in my responses. And I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? And being willing to acknowledge that and own where we struggle and own when we've made a mistake. I think that's such such a great example for our kids. And in fact, I talk about this in the book, but when I was 17 years old, I crashed our family's van into the front of our house. I was a new driver, made a mistake. And my dad got really upset at me that day. But I don't remember so much him getting upset at me that day. I remember the next day when he came back and he asked me to forgive him for how he had responded to me. And that is what has stuck with me to this day. And a lot of times when I know, you know, I have that little feeling like I need to ask my child forgiveness. I think back to my dad doing that. And it just reminds me that it makes such a difference. And it's such an example for our kids. And they're going to probably remember this all throughout their life. And so leading with humility is such a great gift that we can give our kids. Oh, that's beautiful. And I just had an experience this last week where I have a child that's been struggling with bad behaviors on the bus. And so the bus driver and I have been sort of in contact and I've been checking in to see how this child is doing. And I walked to meet them at the bus stop and my two children got off and the one was clearly really agitated. And he's like, come on, let's go, let's go. And I'm like, okay, that's a bad sign. Something happened. He doesn't want me, Mm -hmm. you know, but I said, no, I'm going to talk to him. And so I leaned in to talk to the bus driver and got a bad report from the bus driver. And this child was just raging all the way home, yelling, screaming, I'm never riding that stupid bus again and Mm -hmm. got into the house. And I said, I just want to say something. And this child had their guard up. And I said, I just want to say that I'm really sorry I shouldn't have talked to him in front of all the other kids. And that must have been really Mm. embarrassing for you. Mm. And I should have waited until it was a better time when you wouldn't have been so embarrassed by it. And it's like the anger just like melted out of this child's face. And he, I'm not very good. In your book, you use the pronoun that doesn't give away which child it is. You say they in there and I'm not good at it yet. And this child (laughs) said to me, he was just so willing to talk to me after 
I had apologized. Mm. And it wasn't too late. I hadn't blown it. He was willing to then talk to me about what had happened, how we could have done better. There's a scripture, and you mention it in your book, about a soft answer turneth away wrath. Mm because I sort of changed the trajectory of the conversation by just being humble and saying, I messed up. I shouldn't have done it that way. Then he was more receptive to me. Well, and that's so beautiful. I think also for you to own that, but then for you to acknowledge that that was probably really embarrassing as well. And I think that is such great parenting there, even though, you know, you wish you could go back and do it differently, probably something much more beautiful came out of that mistake that you made. Mm. And I see that a lot where when I make the mistake, but when I go back and I own that mistake and I say, I'm really sorry because I bet it made you feel like that. Or even saying, how did that make you feel if they're old enough to be able to talk like that? And to say, that makes me so sad. And I do not want to parent like that. And you know, for them to just see you that you're still learning and you're still growing. I think that someday they're going to remember those moments in parenting way more than the moments where we just really did it perfectly. That reminds me, I did an episode early on in my show with Georgia Anderson. She's a John Gottman trained emotion coach. And she kept saying, well, you don't want to be perfect at this, blah, blah, blah. And I finally said to her, okay, why don't I want to be perfect at this? I want to be perfect at it. (laughs) So why do you keep saying that? And she said, because the strongest bonds come from repair. Mm. Research shows over and over, and John Gottman's research shows that when you make mistakes and you repair, you feel so much closer to the people that you've repaired with. And I've seen that over and over in friendships, in my marriage. And so why as parents do we hold ourselves to this perfect standard? Why don't we remember that strength comes in repair? So just be willing to go back and say, I'm sorry, and have those conversations, and you'll be closer than ever. Mm. Well, Crystal, this has been such a great conversation today to get us thinking more about how we can be love-centered instead of rule-centered or obedience-centered parents. If people want to dive in and read more of your book and learn more from you, where can they find it? Where can they find more of your work? So I would love for people to follow me on Instagram. That's my favorite place to hang out. I'm the Money Saving Mom on Instagram. And then also I'm the founder of MoneySavingMom.com. So if you want great deals and just encouragement to live on a budget or live on less, you can follow that site. And then also my husband and I do a podcast together called The Crystal Pain Show. And the book Love Center Parenting is available wherever books are sold, Amazon, ChristianBook.com or Bookshop.org or also your local bookstore. Okay, that's great. And it makes me kind of laugh that I've had you on the show twice, and yet we have never talked about money saving. So I'm like, and that's like what you're known for. That's what you originally started building. I mean, you've done a lot of different things over the years now, but we need to get you on here sometime to talk about money saving tips. So that'll have to be the next round. But we're so grateful that you've been on here to talk to us today about parenting and parenting well. And thank you for your time. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Many thanks to my friend Crystal for such an inspiring conversation. As I recap her three takeaways, please remember that before you can really start parenting from love, you have to believe that you are loved. You are enough, wholly and completely right now, and your children's behavior does not impact or change that. If you actually believe that, it will be so much easier to do the real job of parenting, which is not to raise perfect or perfectly obedient children. It's to do three things. First, lean in and love. 
This might look like sending up a flare prayer when you're about to lose it and extending your children patience and kindness instead of shutting down their feelings with your anger. Crystal's example of hearing her kids out when they were fighting in the car reminded me of the episodes that I did with Dr. Laura Markham about sibling rivalry. So if you missed those, make sure you go back and listen, and I'll link those in the show notes. Leaning into love must include the ability to slow down and listen to our children when they are upset, which leads to our second takeaway, listen well. Listening isn't just about hearing the words that our kids say, though that is important too. It's about giving them the benefit of the doubt when they aren't at their best and listening to their behaviors. Can you tell they're feeling stressed out? Are they discouraged, overstimulated? Listening well means going to them and saying, how can I help you instead of coming at them with another lecture? And third and finally, lead with humility. None of us is going to be perfectly patient and loving all the time, and we don't have to be. Remember that relationships are strengthened through repair. So when you mess up with your kids, just go to them and apologize. A soft answer turneth away anger. And when you approach your children with gentle humility, they will soften towards you as well. This kind of parenting will truly build relationships within our homes. I want to end this episode with some inspiring words from Crystal's book that I feel capture the essence of this conversation today. She writes, God is not asking you to be a perfect parent, check all the boxes, or make all the right choices. He's asking you to rest and rely and fully lean on Him. Look to Him for wisdom, trust Him with your kids, and leave your guilt at the foot of the cross. Love-centered parenting means you don't have to carry around the weight of feeling like you're not doing enough because He is enough. It is my hope that all of you listening feel the truth of these words and know how loved and valued you truly are. I'm rooting for you. I'm rooting for your kids. And I hope you have a beautiful week with your family. Hey, I'm Lizzie Mathis, the host of the Cool Mom Code podcast, where motherhood is your key card to the coolest spot in town. I'm excited to give you a behind the scenes, real talk combo between some of the most influential and tastemaker mamas I know. Subscribe and stay tuned for new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't ever miss a beat. See you there.